0: Position, 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 followed by who is the purchaser? Who are you aiming at? Who's the potential purchaser for these properties? What would they look for? What would they want? So there's no set formula. The formula is based on where where you're positioned and who is the purchaser.
1: Hi, I'm Rob Langton. Our interview series delves into the lives of Australia's most respected property thought leaders and decision makers and uncovers what makes them tick. This is The Interview. This morning's guest is Danny Avedon, founder and CEO of Dare Property Group. Danny, thanks for your time this morning. Let's start with, uh, with your upbringing. You went to
0: Vaucluse Boys High School. Tell us about uh, Danny as a student. Danny as a student uh, didn't pick up too many books. Um, so uh, I was a new immigrant to Sydney, I didn't command the lingo, and uh, so I was um, considered a bit backwards. I utilized that, didn't pick up a book, had a great time at school in year 10, teacher's suggestion, I uh, pulled out of school, I guess I, I had to make some money, so I took all kind of odd jobs. It was a great time in my life, and until for a couple of years, I traveled, I worked, and I did really well in every job. I, every job I had. Was I really enjoyed and I did really well. Ultimately, I realized that I was streetwise, but an illiterate one at that. And that's what made me go back and study. So uh, a couple of years later, TAFE did year 11 and 12 in one year, then went to... Uh, University, where I did economics and law, I really really enjoyed it, so that 's my academic background didn 't start off too well, but ended up okay finished well, as you mentioned there Bachelor of Arts and Bachelor of Law
1: from Macquarie University. What interested you about those fields? Why did you choose
0: them Well law was because I really wanted to command the lingo and i also uh, i was I was interested in 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 law uh, I was interested in 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 learning how to appraise, analyze, strategize, and express such. And a part of being a salesman is knowing the art of the deal and negotiations. Certainly helped me there, helps me now. Uh, it was a great education. I really did it uh, because I enjoyed it. At one stage, I thought of practicing, and uh, later on, I decided that I might. I might not. I didn't like the experience, so... I went into business. And what was uh, your career in in business following
1: your university studies?
0: Well, in the course of university, I uh, tried my hand at a few things, um, self-employment kind of things. One of them was a nightclub, Mm -hmm. which I opened at 21 with no money and no knowledge, but I had a great story to tell and that was a lot of fun. Later on, I became an agent who sold, ladies' blue rinse dresses to my power retailers on a commission base. And I did really, really well. That was kind of my affiliation with the rag trade, uh, although my parents had a fashion shop, mm-hmm. and um, they, I, I had that in the background. So I, I got into fashion uh, simply as a salesman, and after a quick stint at practicing law, I decided to uh, go and um, put my... Try my hand in manufacturing myself, and I did just that. And that was with the Discovery Group, I presume,
1: of which you were the CEO for some thirty-one years before nice. yeah. selling to to Myer in in twenty fourteen. Right. Tell us about the Discovery Group.
0: Well, I started. Um, I mean, I basically sold my car at fifteen thousand dollars. That was my capital, which was good good amount then. And uh, I started Disco- the Discovery Group, and I started. Pretty much manufacturing uh, mature ladies' dresses, which was the type of product that I was selling as a student. There was not a lot of fashion content in it. Um, but he was discovering what uh, making products were a good price that ladies wanted to buy. And I was slowly, I just grew the business enormously. And I was selling to everyone from best and less and Kmart to Myers and David Jones and thousands of and Power Boutiques across Australia and New Zealand. Um, and that, and I was going very well and enjoying life, doing that until I met my, uh, the love of my life, my best friend, and my ins- creative inspiration, Charlie Brown, and uh, I was employed by Howard Charles at the time. She got fired for dating me by her boss. I, ultimately I started Charlie Brown. We obviously got married. Uh, and then later on, I also bought Howard showers of her old boss who fired her as part of the settlement of the case <laughs> and gave that to her. And so I really, uh, and she, we, she started a label for me called Lily, which was very groovy and cool for the kids. So I really started focusing on uh, more cool contemporary fashion that made the messes heap. Always keeping in mind the messes because I always believe in uh, a volume. And um, later on, one of our great triumphs was the Hollywood Fashion Tape, which we took to 40 countries and made it a global brand. Uh, world's most expensive sticky tape. Uh, and that was only a question of marketing and packaging, etc. So we had a great run, we had a great time. I loved fashion. Um, we traveled the world every couple of months. And uh, we had, it was great.
1: And before we get into property development, how have you seen the fashion industry change over time,
0: I remember reading a book called the world is flat by Thomas uh, Friedman, which basically uh, say, said that unless you can be globally competitive, you will lose your domestic um, positioning and, and uh, brand equity. And uh, that made me think and understand that as the world brands came into Australia, the domestic market um, watered down in terms of its um, importance. And I see that now the, with the online business, with um, all the global players being here and pre, pre-COVID pre everyone traveling, I, I find it a very tough market to be in, very difficult to be in. And I, I decided I had to get out. It was just a strategy as to how to get out. It took me a couple of years to get out. And um, I don't see the fashion industry ever. Uh, not not existing domestically, but certainly uh, it, it's going to it's a much smaller cake
1: if you were sort of an independent retailer today or an independent fashion owner, what do you think the future of retail is? Is it bricks and mortar? Is it purely online? Or is it a hybrid model sort of omnichannel?
0: I think it's omnichannel. It's about both. It's about having firstly uh, unique and desirable products that are not available to, your, to, to the consumer already at hand. So having, having a point of difference uh, and having a great delivery of of your offer to the consumer, be it brick and mortars or be it online. And as I said, you really need to be in both, mm-hmm. both uh, in order to, um, to, to to be significant and to trade mm-hmm. with a lot of social media content and following, et cetera. So yeah, I think the, there's still uh, an opportunity there. I just don't think it's as big scale as it was.
1: Now, following your career in the fashion industry, you then started RDA, Property Group, circa 2011. Where did your interest in property development come from?
0: I always liked property, uh, but, and I always bought property. So I had several properties that I had bought, but kept. I just haven't developed, uh, I haven't developed them and sold. Whilst I was in the reg trade, I started um, building houses in Queensland. We had a holiday house there. And I teamed up with a partner and we started building houses and uh, selling houses uh, in Sorrento. And that was good. You know, we bought houses, uh, land, land packages for half a meal. We'd spend half a meal to build and soft costs and then we'd sell them for one and a half. And it was good. We we're doing one, two, three, four, and then the Gold Coast had a slide. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was enjoying the process. I started renovating a couple of blocks that I owned here myself for myself, which I still own. And then I, uh, I started uh, developing. First project was the Carlton in Vaucluse in, um, in 2012, I acquired that. I just started slowly, one, one at a time, and I tried to have a niche. I decided I needed to have a niche, so it's about the marketing and pa- packaging. Uh, I, I went pretty much into the affordable luxury area for starters in mm-hmm. accommodation.
1: And then since that time, it seems like you would have uh, moved into the sort of high-end luxury boutique-style developments. What was the impetus behind that?
0: Well, just the market. uh, It's about the positioning. I I have a a real love for detail and quality, and I just try to um, expand and uh, improve the offer in accordance with the market. So, you know, if I was building... um, in, in in the south. I wouldn't be doing what I'm building in the east. It's about the positioning. So properties like um, Bronte Place, which I developed in McPherson Street, Bronte, or Calypso now in Fletcher Street, Tamarama, they, they're incredible sites and they call for quality. And um, yeah, I, I went all out, especially with Calypso. And um, I hope to repeat this uh, concept with new sites that I'm currently working on.
1: And just on that, what are the fundamentals you look at and analyze when looking at a, a development site?
0: Position, position, position. Followed by who is the purchaser? Who's got a? Who are you aiming at? Who's the potential purchaser for these properties? What would they look for? What would they want? Uh, and and it's very much with them, with them in mind that I. Uh, Develop the property, so there's no set formula. The formula is based on where where your position and who is the purchaser.
1: And how are you finding the current market from a site acquisition standpoint? Is there enough supply?
0: There is. There's a lot of supply, but it's you know the numbers have to work. It's uh, property development is a mathematical formula that you have to work with uh, if you're going to survive. And uh, it is always tough to to find a great site at a a price that can uh, work. And um, Calypso was one of those, but it took me a while to to get it. It wasn't easy. I had to chase the uh, vendor for some time to get get him to sell to me, but I'm glad he did, and I think he's glad he did, and uh, it's gonna be great.
1: Just on sites, To finish up, do you go directly to the vendor or do you prefer to purchase in an off-market forum? Do
0: you ever purchase on market? So when I bought um, the old Legion cab site in uh, 81 uh, for Street, Mm -hmm. um, which was a 53 apartment development with uh, four large retail offerings on the ground, there were 200 bidders in the room and I just... Did my numbers and I worked out exactly what I can pay for it, which was a record at the time, but I knew the market was rising and I was able to buy. On the other hand, in, it, with Calypso, it was an off-market situation that I worked and I purchased that through a very good agent who was negotiating the sale for me. It took him two years to get the sale across the line, but he did and it was great. Tell us about Calypso. What are you aiming to achieve there? I'm uh, aiming to, you know, it's the it's the gateway of Tamarama. The views are incredible, and uh, I I'm 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 not I'm aiming, and I have been successful. I mean, we've sold half of it already. I'm aiming to uh, attract a very uh, upscale customer. Some of them are young kids who bought in there. Um, we haven't sold the penthouse yet. We'll probably sell it when we complete because I think it'll be it'll really be a showcase to show off but I'm aiming to uh, to, to deliver all the Nick and Toonies a great luxury smart home um, it's got a, it's got every luxury detail that you can imagine I'm working with a great builder on it I'm working with great team oh, into the interior was done by MIM mm-hmm. interiors of Melbourne who um typically does luxury houses, although she does do some very luxury apartment blocks. And uh, she went to great detail with me. I really enjoyed the experience of working with uh, Mim. And uh, we we just kept working on more and more details. We did it during COVID. We had originally, we were gonna to go to market much earlier and suddenly there was no market to go to. So I actually rang up Miriam at Mim and said, I think we should work harder and do more work on this. Uh, let's uh, really go, go all the way on this project. We've got the time now that we didn't have before, and so we worked for an extra three months on it. Um, we worked with um, a great team, and we just kept adding and tweaking and having the luxury of time, which you rarely do have in property, simply brought on by COVID. For the product that
1: you develop, how have you found consumer preferences have shifted over the last five to ten years? What are they really looking for in a high-end development? Is it still the pool and the sauna and the amenities, or is it more the the, the wine room and the
0: the automation? On the one hand, the uh, and and the empty nester or the higher end customer consumer, they don't want huge um, strata levies and. Uh, body corporate fees and when you start adding amenities like pools and gyms and all kinds of things they lead to that they don't want that what they do want is they want a a great space which is really uh, maximizing the space ratio and giving them as much amenities and privacy as they can achieve they really love boutique smaller buildings rather than large big towers they don't like those Uh, they want smaller boutique buildings with a lot of privacy and a lot of great details and a high quality uh, neighborhood that they can feel comfortable in um, with not too much overheads or maintenance attached.
1: It would seem, especially in the eastern suburbs, that there's quite a lot of competition for those same amount of buyers. So what do you do to differentiate your products from the others
0: on the market? It's about, firstly, it's about the position. And, and so I try to find great positions to be at. Then it's about um, great details that um, surpasses the competition, giving them a product that's not there. So if you look at Tamarama, there is nothing like Calypso in Tamarama. There's some high-end houses that go all the way to $40 million. And there's all their apartments. There's nothing like this product. So there's not too much competition. If you want to live in Tamarama, away from Bondi Beach, Great views and a stroll down to the beach. It's pretty unique.
1: And whether it's Calypso or one of your other projects in the east, how do you go about pricing from a square metre perspective?
0: I think we're pretty reasonable. We simply look at our costs and um, we look at what uh, margins need to be and price it accordingly. You know, product uh, you, a product can uh, vary by... Um, five or even $10,000 a square meter based on what you're offering. You know, if I, if I could have gone much simpler and, and just slept on, you know, 13 boxes together and thrown it out to the market, I don't think that's what the market wants in Tamarama. Mm-hmm. It's not about price, it's about uniqueness and quality. That's where we excel.
1: And would it be fair to say that another reason you do these high end developments is so that it's something you can be proud of as well when you're driving past as opposed to the Totally.
0: Um uh, there's a block I developed across the road from Calypso called Wave Apartments in thirty six Fletcher Street. And the other day they sold the one better for $30,000 a square meter, which my purchaser told me, he reminded me he bought for $22.5 a square meter. I was so happy he made money. Mm -hmm. The building still looks great. And all the customers who are buying Calypso look across and see the best looking building in Tamarama other than what Calypso will be is Wave Apartments. And I developed it. So yeah, it's definitely about being proud of what you do. I'm not aiming to be a big mess developer. I really love what I do, and it's about the detail, and it's about creating something that's special um, that's for eternity, pretty much.
1: Now, you've recently moved into the Melbourne market with a project called Zero Gips in Collingwood. Tell us about why you've moved into Melbourne and what you're trying to achieve with that one.
0: Um, I love Melbourne. And I'm actually working on a couple of other projects in Melbourne, but uh, Zero Gibbs stands out to be a green, sustainable boutique uh, commercial building, six-story building, Um, and it's very different to what else is in Collingwood. If you look at Collingwood, they're huge floor plates. It's almost not that we knew there is COVID, but people want to be nowadays in smaller buildings away from the city, not with the huge floor plates, not with the big elevators and lifts. much more boutique-y. And um, it it was a great site, a great opportunity. Um, I worked with SJB, um, Triskan Wong, who's a great architect, and, and we really, uh, I think we've developed a unique product and a unique offer. People can have the options as we go to market. We were on market, we pulled back, we're going back In the new year, to pre lease. Started construction now. And, um, you know, we're in the the process where people can build their own modules and they can decide if they want 200 meters or 700 meters of form. We'll build accordingly as we go along, uh, certainly for the first period. And uh, it's quite unique, you know. It's also going to have great amenities like a cafe and a concierge Mm. on the ground. It's going to have an organic uh, rooftop bar and restaurant on the top. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 very sustainable. We're using clay as the product for the facade and special glazings that block the sun rays. It's 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 a it's a unique product, and there's been um, it's been very well received. A lot of uh, inquiries. It's looking great, and we I think we'll. Duplicate the offer with another with another project further down the road.
1: So you're doing residential in Sydney, but commercial in Melbourne.
0: The next one is going to be a mixed use, which will have residential and commercial. Yeah.
1: And are there sectors that you're avoiding, say, uh, industrial, retail,
0: or look, or, or or basic? I mean, I'm not I'm not looking for to go into markets which are basic and simple where I'm not a specialist. So. You know, there's no point for me to go to, you know, out west or, you know, to um, lower, you know, demographic markets where they just want a basic product at a price. There's far better people than me to develop those on mess. We're a boutique, high-end developer, so whatever I develop has got that signature to it in terms of location, design, and Point of difference and how are you finding the finance and lending environment
1: at the moment
0: very good there is um, firstly the banks are hungry as long as you've got pre-leasing or pre-sales they can't operate in another space there's not uh, there's a lot of products that can't satisfy the pre the debt cover with pre-sales or the pre-leasing um, multiplier request. so if you 've got a product that can deliver that to the banks they'll grab it and they're very very um, flexible and hungry for business but there's also a lot of other a lot of other people a lot of other people playing uh, in the banking and lending area which once um, they charge you more interest um, they offer you uh, 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 far more flexibility so there's plenty of money around look I'm, uh, I, i've always worked on my own i don 't have any partners or equity uh, investors but there's a lot of offers from both sectors to come in with me and let me expand into uh, more projects uh, together and larger ones so I'm considering that but so far so good uh, but there's, I've never had a problem um, finding finance for the projects they're out there I've got to ask you about
1: planning. There's some groups out there that would complain even if a new picnic table was being installed.
0: How do you get around those uh, those noisy groups? With great difficulty because council tend to favour the objectors and the complainers and the neighbours. So we try, first of all, we try to work directly with the neighbors by presenting what we're gonna do or to whoever is in our hood and showing them and asking if there's any issues of concern. And if they are, we definitely try to address those. And and then there's those who just simply don't want any development or any changes. We can't help them. So we then go on to uh, appraise their objection or whatever that is and show that we're actually um, There's no impact in what we're doing uh, that ought to concern them. And we just go with the facts. I mean, so far, so good. I've always gotten every development approval across. Sometimes with more difficulty than others. Certainly in in, uh, Bronte, there was a whole group (laughs) who said save save, uh, uh, Bronte, hang a developer. It wasn't very nice, but ultimately we won, and ultimately we've got, we even got a, Supermarket going in on the bottom, so you know, it it, it we just we just answered the, the allegations and the objections fairly and truly, and at the same time we um, amended what it is that we were after in order not to upset uh, any any groups except those that were going to be upset anyway. We didn't worry about them. What would you say are the biggest challenges facing developers in the current environment? Getting approvals and fair approvals. From council, There's so many sites that offer you a point 0.6 to 1 or point 0.5 to 1, but they should be a one to one. Uh, they've got an existing envelope, which is at least one to one, if not more. And yet they say, if you knock it down, you lose half. It just doesn't make any sense. So uh, I think council need to work with developers far more openly uh, and, and far more um, quickly rather than uh, just let you wait around. I mean, even in Collingwood it took took me an extra year to get all the approvals across, it was ridiculous. But we didn't go to VCAP, we just worked with council and ultimately got it, but the timelines need to improve. Council understanding need to improve. Um, I'm happy to work with councils. They're not always happy to work with me, but you know, I will just keep trying. That's so all you can do. Let's
1: finish off with a couple of questions about Danny as a person. When you look back on your career, both in fashion and property, what are your proudest achievements? Family is my
0: proudest achievement. I uh, have a very close relationship with my wife and our two children. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's I, I guess that's my greatest achievement, being able to get up in the morning and uh, stay fit and also take time during the day about, Thinking about what I can do for someone, for whether it's a person, a friend, a person in need, or the environment, or whatever it is, putting time into doing good, that's something that makes me feel great and proud. What are the biggest learnings throughout your career? That you never stop learning. Thanks so much for your time this morning. Thank you.